Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Hi, Making Headway listeners. Before we get started today, Mariah and I wanted to give you a quick trigger warning. Our survivor today is a victim of the 2017 Las Vegas mass shooting. So we just wanted to give you guys that heads up. Uh, It is a great episode. She's super inspirational, but wanted to give you that warning. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Making Headway podcast. This is Erin. And this is Mariah. And today we have a very special guest, a survivor here to share her story with us. We have uh, Ellie Gargano who um, I'm not going to even jump in to tell any part of this, but Ellie was a part of um, the very now famous or infamous, depending on how you define the word, uh, Vegas shooting. And Ellie, thank you so much for joining us and being willing to share your story with our listeners. But I will just let you jump in and, and start from the beginning. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. Seriously, just so happy to be here and uh, just... Thank you for giving me this platform and opportunity to share my story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess where to begin, I guess, um, the event itself. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was October 1st, 2017. So almost it will be the fourth four year anniversary this upcoming year in October. Um, I was at a or I decided to go to this three-day country music festival um, in Las Vegas, Nevada with uh, one of my girlfriends. It was just a girl's trip, um, just the two of us. And it was my first music festival kind of um, event that I'd ever been to. I'd been to tons of concerts growing up, but never like a three-day music festival. So I was really excited. Um, And... Yeah, anyways, you guys know what happened at the event itself. Um, Towards like 10 p.m. on the last night, um, the shooting started. And pretty immediately after um, it began, I was struck in the back of the head. And I knew it almost immediately when it happened that it what I was shot. And um, it's really weird to to talk about or to describe because everyone always asks me, you know, like, what did it feel like? Or did it hurt? And it's so weird to say this, but it, it didn't hurt. Like it, I think just the trauma and the shock of it and all the adrenaline maybe, or the fact that it's in the brain, maybe it makes it not hurt as much, but really when I, when I describe it, it kind of just felt like a big knock to the head. And then like when you hit your elbow and you hit your funny bone and it's like the zinging kind of feeling. Hmm. That's kind of what it felt like radiating through my body, like from my head down through my limbs, out my fingers and toes, just kind of like this radiating feeling. Um, and then I kind of just, I guess I, I didn't pass out, but I had lost consciousness for a couple seconds. I kind of uh, blacked out a little and then I thought in the moment for real that, you know, I could be dying. I thought this Mm -hmm. could be it. Like I, I was like, I just got shot. I'm pretty sure I not really know what's going on and I'm probably dying, like in the process of dying. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it's just a couple seconds later, I started hearing noises coming back. Um, it's like that fog of war sound that you hear in movies, the ringing of your ears and Mm -hmm. like, the vision is blurry, but you can still see. Um, that's what it kind of was like when I came to. And then I realized, holy shit, <laughs> for lack of better words, I- I'm alive. If anyone um, can say holy shit, then now is the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I guess I'm alive. Okay, so what am I going to do? Um, I called out to my friend that I was with and I was like, hey, I, I, I think I got hit or shot. And she was like, where, you know, um, my hair is dark. It's dark. It was outside at night. You couldn't really Mm -hmm. see or tell, but I had, there was blood Mm -hmm. all over my hand from where I was touching it. Sorry if it's TMI. I don't know how much. No, no, that's okay. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I kind of 
came to, came back to it, realized I was alive. My friend um, was like, okay, we need to get out of here. Everyone was starting to kind of try to run out. So with the help of strangers and just my friend, anyone that was around that was helping, um, helped carry me out or like, I didn't need to be carried. I actually was able to run, but wow. I just kind of like put my arms around two people on either side of me and they helped me run out. And actually one of the things that I think about the most is like in that moment of the most terrifying, horrific moment of your life, when you think it would be save yourself and nobody else, that is not what happened at all for me during that experience. And that's something I think about all the time is like, I had to hop over this fence and I couldn't do it on my own. I tried and I stumbled and I, and you know, my friend was like to this random stranger, could you help my friend, please help us get over. And without hesitation, random strangers turned around and helped me over the fence and then helped two other random strangers helped us run out. Like I just, I couldn't, I still to this day, can't believe like the, in like the distressing moment that people would stay behind, risk their lives to help other people when they could have just saved themselves. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's I'm amazing to hear. And up. it's heartwarming. Yeah. I mean, so often it is here, like how crappy the world is and to know that we're people used to hearing the bad the right moments. now for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And there's so many moments like that where in, and I think this is a common theme for, as brain injury survivors is the silver linings or the blessings mm-hmm. hidden in the moments. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing I think about all the time is just the goodness mm-hmm. that was there, even in the like worst times, I guess. Yeah. 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 Now I know you said I'm, you um, had like, like you thought you were dying. Um, I had a similar thing where I thought I was dying. And do you have any like stories or experience from that? Like, I don't know. For me, it was, oh, I saw my husband and I was like, oh, I need to stay. Like I had this moment where I needed to, it felt to me like I was making a choice to like stay on this planet because I loved him so much and wanted to stay with him. Um, Is that something you experienced or something totally different? I just wonder. That's, wow, that's insane to hear. Um, (laughs) Actually, my therapist, when I first started going to therapy after the injury, she asked me that like first thing, like, did you have any near death uh, experience. Um, and I don't think I did. I actually, um, have anything like that, except I always think about like in those last moments when I thought I was dying, what was I thinking about? Like, who was I thinking about? And all I think, all I know is when you're in those last moments, what you're thinking about is your family, your friends, my -hmm. boyfriend, the people, their, their faces just kind of flashed in my, in my eyes. And I was like, I'm never going to see them again. Um, I wish I could just say bye. I wish I could just tell them or send them a text really quick. Like, Hey, I love you. I'm sorry if we're, you know, not having, not in the best place at the moment. And I think that's the one takeaway or one of the biggest takeaways that I got from the whole event is just your time on earth. The most important thing about it is the connections that we make, the time that we spend with the people on this earth and the connections we make with them. That's what gives this life purpose and meaning. And without it, you know, material items, traveling, even like those things kind of flash in my mind, like, oh, I'm so young. I haven't even got married. I haven't even had children. I haven't even gone to travel that much. Um, But those are all just secondary things when it really comes down to it, when it's really Mm -hmm. just life or death, you're like, oh no, the people that I'm never going to see again. Yep. So I think that was one of the main things that I always think about too. Same for me. That was like such a like, like earth shaking thing. Like to the, like in the moment I was just totally at peace. I'm like, I could die. Like, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But seeing my husband and then remembering my dog and my family and my friends, I'm like, oh, I can't leave them. I want to stay. And like afterwards, retrospectively thinking about that is like that just has changed my whole life. Um, it's just changed my perspective and how I treat people in my life and the things that are important. And I think a lot of survivors probably understand that feeling. And it's I don't know, it's it's yeah. kind of heartwarming to have. It, it is. And I. 
I sometimes wonder if people think I sound like a broken record in my life, like my loved ones, because I'm always like, life's too short, life's too short. But honestly, when you've been faced with your life being too short, um, and that probably would have been the thing that people said about you if you had passed, you know, um, the rest kind of just pales in comparison. Like it truly puts everything in perspective, um, you know. Mm -hmm. I always, yeah, I was listening to one of your most, more recent episodes the other day. Um, and I think it was the neuro nerds. Joe. I I was thinking of him too in this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And just how he asked you about, um, whether you would, uh, go back and have it not happen to you. Mm -hmm. And even like with the traumatic aspect, I mean, there's traumatic aspect for all of us, but, um, with the shooting and that aspect, I would even say, yes, I would Mm -hmm. still not want it to happen. I would never want to go through this again or anything. And I would never wish this experience on anyone, but sometimes I wish that they could have the perspective that comes after, um, or just the understanding. I, I don't wish it on anybody to go through that, but I wish sometimes that they could have that perspective. Yeah, I agree. Without the trauma yeah. that <laughs> produces right. it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I have so many idea questions, of Ellie. Pushing you to evolve. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yes, please. I, I'm like better, I feel like yeah. with questions, like whether besides just me talking. So, well, okay. It. So I'm, I don't want to dwell on the festival you were at by any means, but I do wonder, like, did you know what was happening? I'm assuming that gunshots were heard. So how quickly did people process what was happening? And then what was, it must've been in my mind, it must've been mayhem as soon as people figured out what was happening. So can you give us a little idea of like the sequence of events before you were hit? Yeah, sure. Um, so it was the headliner, uh, Jason Aldean. He's the big country music star. Mm-hmm. And so it was the last person of the night. So it was towards the end of the night, but, um, he, he had been playing and he took, I think kind of just a little set break. And in that dip, when the music was down, we heard these little short bursts of sounds. It kind of, to me at the time, it sounded like fireworks or firecrackers. So ask, when, yeah. yeah, when it first the first little first sounds happened. I, my friend and I were like, what was that? That was weird. Kind of sounded like fireworks. Oh, maybe someone's just playing a prank, whatever. A couple of minutes or so had gone by in between that and the second burst. So it was like, we thought maybe it was just a joke or something. Shortly later, realized it was not a joke. Um, it, the fire just kept going. It just kept the, they just kept shooting or the, um, the shooting kept going, sorry. And we quickly realized, oh, these are, these are gun, this is gunshots, this is real. Okay, this is like real life, this is happening. Um, and when that started happening and people started realizing what it was, everyone started yelling like, duck down, you know, try to crouch down. Um, but there was really no way to crouch down because everyone was just stuck like yeah. sardines. Uh, packed to the brim and we were in the very front actually too so very close to the stage and very tightly packed in so there was no way to really bend down but um as I was bending down which is what my friend later confirmed uh with my knowledge of what I remembered to be true um as I was just kind of crouching down is when I got hit And the crazy thing is, is to answer your question, I do remember everything um, from during the concert, before being hit, um, during being struck, um, after running out of the venue. And then the last thing I remember is um, I was running out of the venue. We made it out safe, safety kind of area (laughs) in the back of the venue. And... um, I remember like feeling I was starting to lose like consciousness. I was going to pass out soon. I felt like my legs were giving, getting weak and I felt like I was maybe gonna, I couldn't walk anymore. I was like, I can't go any further. I need to sit down. I told the people helping me and they were like, okay. And then just within, 
you know, a minute or so, or I don't know how long, a car came up at random strangers again, and they said we could take anyone hurt to the hospital. So wow, wow, random two random people or. I don't even know how many people were in the car with us. My friend was unfortunately not able to come with because she was not injured and they said we don't have enough room. So we were separated at that point, which was terrifying. Uh, but I knew like, I mean, at that point I was like, I have, I have to go. Otherwise yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to make it. Um, so I knew that. And the last thing I remember was driving in the car to the hospital and, um, I just remember like being really out of it, but laying on someone's lap in the back seat and they were stroking me and just telling me like how sorry they were and that this should have never happened to me. And that I was so, you know, look at this beautiful girl. And I just remember them telling me all these things. And I remember thinking like, I have to say something cause I can hear them and this, they are going to think that I'm, that I passed away in their lap if I don't say something. So I remember like, say something, say something. So I don't know what I said, but I think I said something like, Hey, I can hear you. Or like, I'm here. Like I can hear you think, you know, just wanted them to know that I was still there, but mm. I, um, passed out in the car or something because I don't remember actually go- making it to the hospital, but, um, everything before that I remembered. Wow. Mm. Wow. Which is I mean, insane. Like, I don't even know how I do, but, and I feel like people don't believe me, but it's, it's yeah, amazing. Sure. I mean, so many it's of the, the survivors we've talked to, like even I lost my memory pretty much as soon as I called my husband. Um, I don't really remember the ambulance or anything, but so many people are left to piece the puzzle together. But I talk about mm-hmm. a testament to the power of good. Um, whoever those people were, gosh, <laughs> what a wonderful thing to do. They're, yes, they are my real life lifesaver angels. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any way of getting in touch with them? I mean, I assume that like they're still, it's a mystery. Yeah. Um, so actually my parents had put out like an article, um, at the times saying that they were looking for the people that drove me to the hospital and we were able to find them and connect with them. Um, I haven't. It is kind of a weird thing that I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning, but, um, you know, at the very beginning, after the, after the shooting, I, and even still now it's really hard, um, trying to make connections with people that were there. Mm -hmm. Tons of people have reached out to me and, you know, wanted to connect and I really do appreciate it. But sometimes it's really hard for me like to, have that connection with those people. I feel like part of me is not there yet in that acceptance that this did happen to me. Some, some days I'm totally like, okay, I, I, I know this happened. This was real. And other days I'm just like, that wasn't real life. Like that mm-hmm. wasn't me that that happened to that. This is like somebody else's life that I'm living. Yeah. So I can relate to um, that for sure. Yeah. yeah um, I, I mean, I think I mentioned this in some past episode, but I had this really weird, um, in the months after my accident, people are like, you should be journaling. You should be keeping track of your feelings. So you can, I refused to write a single thing about what I was going through. And I also, I have one picture that I took of myself in the hospital and then I, I didn't let anyone else take photos of me and I did not take any myself because I, I I don't know why I reacted that way, but I just was not ready to deal with what was actually happening. I can't, I don't even, I can't even really articulate well what I was grappling with. Um, and you know, this many years later, I've come to terms with all of it, but I did not want to admit to myself that I was in such a vulnerable place. And I think that's really the heart of it for me is, um, Mm -hmm. that like, acknowledging it meant it was real. I think that's exactly right. I think that's part of it for me too. Yeah. So for me too, is like the revit, the constant revisiting of trauma. Like it's really easy to get sucked into like the feelings that you had then and almost, and I'm going to have trouble contemplating this too, because I like telling my story, but it's hard sometimes like it takes a lot of energy 
to be able to tell it without feeling it in a way that it puts me really into a low, bad place. Um, right. And it could be tough. I could imagine if people were constantly reaching out to me and wanting to rehash, relive, relive that. Yeah. You don't always want to relive those hard times. Exactly. And right off the bat too, I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know that this really happened. Like, whoa. I was Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I'm still even trying to process that this happened to me. I can't connect with you on that level yet. Like, I don't know. Yeah. We had a luxury we had a luxury that you did not have, you know, nobody knew about our brain injuries when they happened. Mm -hmm. You had, you were in the scenario where people, it got so much press and so much attention as it should. But I think that, um, in general, in today's world, people assume that something gets mentioned in the news and the person mentioned is willing to talk to you about it. And I think that's not necessarily the right assumption. It's, mm-hmm. Privacy is a hard thing to come by <laughs> these days. It is. So. It's very hard. And yeah, I think my privacy was being invaded a lot yeah. at that time when I was in the hospital and there were lots of news articles and people, so many Facebook messages and just random strangers coming out of the woods you know, all well-intended, I'm sure, but mm-hmm. it was just very overwhelming. And um, so, yes, to answer your question about the people that helped me, I was able to not meet them in person, but I was able to connect with them on social media. Um, I haven't, I unfortunately, I haven't, you know, talked to them very much, but uh, yeah, cause just because it's yeah. hard, I think. Yeah. No, I understand you are where you are. Um and you have to kind of be okay with that wherever it is. I met the woman who was the first person on the scene after I was hit by the car and I was hit yeah. by, and, um, it was a couple of months after, um, and it was very strange to face her, um, and know that like the person that she saw on the, you know, in the middle of the road was not really me. Cause I was having a fight or flight reaction at the time. And, um, I've talked about that before too, but like not really my personality, but the brain does what the brain does. Um, But the other weird thing about it was her take on what happened was far more of a reality than what I, my brain recalled from the event. So that was an interesting thing for me. But um, yeah. So once you, once they got you to the hospital, um, Mm -hmm. how, do you remember much from the hospital and how did they even like, how did they find your parents or your loved ones? And, um, yeah. And where did it go from there? Um, so my friend that I was with was actually, we met through our significant others. They were friends or, and, um, so she, when it, when I was taken to the hospital. Actually, her phone was about to die, so I had given her my cell phone, actually, and she was able to call her boyfriend, my boyfriend, and, you know, then from their family. Mm -hmm. So um, my family and boyfriend raced to Vegas from California. It's like a four-hour drive um, in the middle of the night or, you know, around, it was like 1030 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then... Uh, my boyfriend actually got to the hospital before my first surgery, which would, was that night. Um, I had a craniectomy to where they removed all of the bullet fragments that they could get out. Um, and I actually still have some bullet fragment that they couldn't get out, that they had to leave in because it was too close to something important. <laughs> um, <laughs> something but, important. Yeah. I was actually, I think I was told once that, um, the, some fracture or, uh, rupture or something, brain bleed or something was just some, like millimeters, centimeters away from the midline vein or something that would have been catastrophic damage. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's, I'm so lucky. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I was in a medically induced coma for three days, um, after the surgery and, um, and then they woke me up and I had no skull on my right side because they had taken it off, um, after it was all fragmented. And then 
um, I would have another surgery about a month later, um, and they would put a synthetic skull that they had made back on my head. I don't know. Did you not have that? No. None of you? Okay. No. 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 Mine was um, an internal bleed, and they didn't have to do okay. surgery. And mine was... Um, my fracture was straightforward enough that it healed on its own, but also my bleed was literally... I mean, they use the word hair, which is funny because there's hair on your head, but, or maybe I'm weird and I think that's funny. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if it had been a hair further, they would have had to open my skull to um, relieve the pressure, but it began to recede, luckily. So, yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I do remember that from your story. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's um, kind of crazy to. So not uh, the having... opening of the skull is. It's crazy. Yeah. How do you how do you live without a skull for a month? So I had to wear this helmet. It was like a soft pad. I still have it, and I decorated it with stickers and like <laughs> made it. This, <laughs> tried to make it cute at the time, but um, I just had to wear this helmet. And I mean, I, I was in the hospital. I was in the ICU for a week, I think, about a week or a little more, and then um, to the rehab floor for I think two weeks. So and then. Um, well later I, after my second surgery, I developed a complication, um, called hydrocephalus. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Yeah. yeah I haven't but, talked to anyone with hydro who has had hydrocephalus. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 So, um, after my cranioplasty where they put the synthetic skull on, um, sometimes I guess it's, it can happen where the patient develops hydrocephalus, which is swelling of the brain. Um, usually what happens is your brain is surrounded or sits in cerebral spinal fluid, CSF. And um, sometimes if the plate or the synthetic skull isn't attached, it's hard to get it to bind correctly, I guess. Mm. So sometimes fluid can leak out even if it's just a tiny pinhole of a leak or something. So that's what happened to me. Um, luckily, it wasn't the worst of the... Kind, two kinds of hydrocephalus, I guess you could get. Um, normally what happens is it swells up in the middle of your brain inside your ventricles, and then you have to have emergency surgery and it's like, it can be life-threatening. Um, but luckily for me, at, for some reason, mine went to the side of my head outside of my brain. So <laughs> I had this, like, what looked like a water balloon on the side of my head for months, a couple months, because when you would touch it, it was just like, bouncy like it was filled with fluid so um yeah I had this like sack of fluid on the side of my head for um a couple months when I I feel it like I'm been uncomfortable no you're doing good I was, well I was gonna say just what any brain injury survivor wants is like right? oh here's one more thing that's wrong with me that people can actually see yes oh my gosh yeah. it was like all you want is normalcy <laughs> I mean at the time it, it wasn't it was uncomfortable, but it was manageable with pain meds. So I would just take that and it was fine. Um, and it wasn't life threatening. So I was like, at the time I was just happy to be alive. So I didn't really care that much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was uncomfortable and I would have to get it. Um, we tried preventing doing surgery, uh, at first and they would take a, a needle and just drain the, the fluid out manually oh. and, then I would wear this compressive head wrap around my head for days to try to get it to lay back down flat and stay there. And then eventually when that didn't work a couple of times, we, I decided to get surgery. So I had a third surgery in California um, when I came home eventually in February of 2018. So like a little bit later. Gotcha. So and, how long did it take you to get home then? Um, so I, we left Vegas, um, I think... Uh, November 29th, I think. So, and after thanks, so it was after Thanksgiving. Um, and then I came home, I took some time for the holidays since it wasn't the hydrocephalus wasn't life threatening. It was just uncomfortable. So I was able to just kind of try to settle back at home, enjoy the holidays, um, interview doctors and try to find the right surgeon for me at home to transfer care and then eventually I had my surgery in February. So you must have been wow. so glad to say goodbye to Vegas. <laughs> it, yeah, I was, but I was actually really scared too at the time because I had 
trusted those doctors and all the caregivers at that hospital. And coming home, I was like, at first I wanted to just drive back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to do that because I was so like, I can't go somewhere else. Like this person saved my life. I have to stay like with this person. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I was like, okay, yeah, it's just, I was afraid. Yeah. Um, I, and I'm always like, you know, if I go to a doctor who doesn't know me from the beginning, they might try to like minimalize it or not really understand what happened or what type of care I need. So yeah, you're willing to put those sacrifices out there just to have continuity. But, um, it sounds like for you, it was easier that now that you were able to transfer care to home. Yeah, it's much better. Um, or I was able to do that and it actually ended up being just fine and obviously a lot better than driving back and forth. Um, what was some of your, yeah, so I had, um, I had a shunt put in, I don't know if I said that. Okay. And that's, so that's what they did to drain it. To drain it. Yeah. Cool. What were some of your, um, like things that you needed to rehab from? Like what were some of the effects um, besides the physical, what were the other types of things that you were dealing with after your gunshot? Um, yeah, I, so while I was in the rehab facility, they obviously did all the kinds of therapy, physical, occupational, speech. Um, and I was so amazed, you guys, at, I went through so many, like, um, revelations of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to be a nurse. Like these people Uh are amazing. I'm going to be an an occupational therapist now because these people are helping people every day. Like, you know, I'm going to be a doctor because I want to do something like this with my life. Like, um, it was just so cool to see all those parts. I actually like loved it. And I'm like you, I think Aaron, um, and Mariah, I think both of you are this way, but I've heard one of you say on the podcast a lot that you're very type a very, um, you know, driven, both of you. Yeah. Uh Driven type Uh A. Um, and that was me. And this is one thing that I actually wanted to bring up is, um, that was me. And I, I always had to get straight A's in school. I always had to work hard for the next promotion. And I always wanted to be the best. And Mm -hmm. after my injury kind of readjusting to life afterward, I was like realizing that I wasn't the same and that was, has been and is really hard for me. Something, yeah. it's almost like this a lot, lack of identity or loss of self. Like, I I felt like um, I didn't even know who I was sometimes. Like, I was like, this isn't the same girl that, that I was. Mm. And I don't even know who she is. And that, like, feeling like you don't even know yourself because you're not the same person. And those things that you identified with that made you who you were, they are not you anymore. I don't even know where that came from about what we were talking about before. (laughs) No, I totally agree with you on that though. Like it, it, like I had, you know, most of my effects were cognitive and I was always used to, I wasn't the smartest. I've never been the smartest in the room, but I've been a really hard worker and if I just work harder and I push harder, then I'll get the results I need, be recognized, get the promotion. And I, I've lost the ability to do that. I just can't. It's too takes too much energy. And it leads you wondering, like, what the heck do I do now? Like, how do I function? Because that's how I always yeah. do things. I totally get it. So the other part of that, for me at least, is that the people who you know and love who are very used to you overperforming or overachieving or being an incredibly active person then have to adjust to what you're adjusting to, which is your inability. And that sounds really negative, but the, the change in your ability to perform. So, um, for me, that meant like I am, my therapist would say my family's project manager. And it meant my family lost their project manager. I was always the person who would talk to two people and make sure if there was a conflict that they would eventually talk to each other. Or if we wanted a family vacation, I was the person who talked to every person about availability and then, you know, like figured out what we had in common. Mm -hmm. And when, and this is not any, I think this is a very normal thing. I'm not faulting family members. Um, but when that, role that people expect of you can no longer be performed by a person, they, it can be jarring for them sometimes the change in you. And it seems silly that like they would have to 
that they would have a hard time adjusting to the new you, but it makes sense um, just as you're adjusting to Mm -hmm. the new you. So are the people around you and it can be really tough for everyone. So, but for me, it was the thing that got Mm -hmm. me to therapy was like people upset with the new Mariah and Mariah's inability to project manage people because they were used Mm -hmm. to that for me. Um, got me to therapy because I was struggling with it too. And I'm really grateful for that. So. Yeah, it's Joe's whole, I like um, when we had Joe Borges on and he gave us the explanation of, you know, before our brain injuries, we were caterpillars. Like everyone in our lives, we're all caterpillars crawling in the dirt. And afterwards, everyone expects us to be a caterpillar still, but we're actually a butterfly soaring. And that just, that's just stuck with me. I like that. And it does feel like that because my abilities are so different than what they used to be. And I'm still trying to figure it out because I cling to these old things I wanted to do or be. And I got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't stay there. Totally, yeah. I totally agree with that. I That has been the hard thing for me. It I never really actually thought about that, about other people, how they might perceive you as different now. I have a really good recent example of... Um, I guess the product of therapy in my life now versus where I was prior to my brain injury. I fairly recently was in a little bit of a disagreement with a family member. And normally like pre therapy brain injury, Mariah would have like been down in the dirt in this disagreement, like arguing it out, hashing it out, whatever. But post therapy brain injury, Mariah at this point is like, if that's how you feel, fine. I don't have time for this shit. Once again, life is too short and I am not even going there. Like mm-hmm. if you are, if this is going to be a thing for you, then it's your thing because I'm opting out of it. That's yeah. Plain. Like I, I don't want to be done. I am a butterfly. <laughs> boundaries. boundaries. Yes. The other B word. Yes. Butterflies with boundaries. I had, I had yeah. no little to no knowledge about mental health or anything before my injury. And I had never been to therapy. Um, I, after my injury, I knew like, I mean, I need to go to therapy. I, but I didn't think that I would have issues. I was like, I'm going to be fine. I seriously thought after I got out of the hospital, I was like, or even when I was getting better in the hospital, cause I was getting better pretty fast for an injury of my, uh, as substantial that I, as what I had, I thought for sure it was going to be at least like three to six months in the hospital. But, um, it was only a matter of weeks. And I was like, what? This is crazy. Um, yeah. And that's also something so cool that I've learned through your podcast too. And just through having a brain injury is like how the brain can heal and how quickly certain things can heal too. And it's just crazy. The neuroplasticity and everything. Um, I don't remember what we're talking about before. (laughs) That's a lot. We lost our train of thought. I'm curious um, to know. I think you. So y- you said you had pretty much every form of therapy. Um, yeah. You got home, and I wonder, like, did you feel like you were prepared for life at home and what came next for you, or did that also require sort of an adjustment period for you? I think it was an adjustment. I so as I kind of was saying, started saying I when I got injured. I was recovering fast. And I just, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to recover, go home, maybe just recover for a little. And then I'm going to go back to work and everything's going to be fine. It's just going to be normal. Like I'll be fine. And, you know, people, when I was in the hospital, they even sent therapists and, you know, to come talk to me. And I was like, yeah, I like, I'm fine. I don't really like, I'm just happy to be alive. Like I, you know, there's no problems here. Um, so I really didn't think I was going to have any mental health issues. I really thought I was going to be just fine, go back to work. I was 23 years old at the time when this happened. I'm 27 now. So like I was really young and I just, I just thought I'd be fine. And turns out I wasn't fine and I'm not, I am fine. I'm, I am, I'm great. I'm actually great. But from a mental health perspective, I have had issues arise that I did not foresee. And, um, therapy. So getting into therapy was always something that I knew I would do. I was never hesitant about it when I was approached about it. I was like, yeah, of course I'll go. Like I was just in a mass shooting. Of course I'm going to go to therapy, but I didn't think it would help or really do anything. It has changed my whole life. It has. And, 
Mm-hmm. I wish I had gone before and I wish I had known, you know, all these things about myself. It just helps you know yourself more, I think, realize more about your life and how you grew up and how that impacts you and the way you respond to things now. And then just obviously helping me cope with things that have come up from the shooting and the trauma and the injury. But, um, yeah, I don't remember the question, but (laughs) no question. I don't think I think we're just on the therapy trail, but I am curious to know, you know, like your re-entry into quote unquote normal life. What was it like for you? I mean, I know that you now own a business, but what happened in between there? Yeah. Okay. So I, like I said, I was like, I'm going to get back to work. Um, I, that was my one, I had a one track mind. I was like, that's what's going to happen. And then I'm going to keep being successful in the corporate world. Like I was always meant to, and that's it. Um, but as I started, as I was at home healing and recovering, it started becoming more real to me that, okay, maybe I'm not going to be going back as soon, but I'm still going back. Um, but maybe it's just going to take a little longer. And then slowly I started thinking, well, do I even want to go back? Do I, is that even what I want to do with my life? And then as I started thinking more and reflecting more on the injury and the event that happened, I started, and all the things that we talk about, all the little lessons and blessings that have come out of it, you know, realizing what's important, more important in life. And I just realized I want to spend my life making connections with people because that's what's important. I want to spend my life helping people if I can, because I have something that I could help people with. And so once I started realizing that, my mind kind of went somewhere else and I kind of abandoned going back to my conventional corporate job. Um, and I started thinking, what could I do from home and how could I start making a lot, like working again, but from a controlled pace and a controlled environment, because a lot of the PTSD anxiety issues that I struggle with are from being outside, um, you know, in crowds with a lot of people around, um, so I needed, I knew I going forward, I would need something a bit more controlled, something I could do um, possibly from home or just less, obviously less of a workload to start. I know you guys have done like gone back to work, um, but I really just mm-hmm. took three years and I just stayed at home. I focused on my mental recovery. I focused on my physical, getting that back, um, just all those little things. And then when I finally was in like a more of a better place mentally, I was eventually like, okay, what am I going to do? I was starting to get a little bored at home. What's something I could do. And, um, I just in the pandemic, actually, um, last summer in June, 2020, I decided to start my own business. Um, I, I don't know. Do you guys want me to talk about that right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. So I, it actually it was just in the pandemic. Uh, we were all at home um, during COVID and everyone was doing tie dye. You know, it was like all the rage and it still is. And um, I just decided to make some tie dye stuff for fun at home by myself and actually liked how it turned out. And I thought, wow, actually it turned out kind of good. Maybe I could sell these. And I showed my friends and they were all like, oh my God, these actually look really good. And I was like, okay. Maybe I could do something with this. And so when I started thinking, okay, I could sell tie-dye clothes. I saw other people doing it. They do it over Instagram. I could totally do this. Um, I went to college for advertising and marketing. So I knew, you know, kind of what I was doing a little bit. Um, And then I started thinking, okay, what is this really going to be? Is this, I was thinking of names. And when I was thinking of names, I thought, okay, stay away from anything like tie-dyed by Ellie or died by Ellie because <laughs> I just had this feeling that it could be something bigger one day. So I wanted it to be more of a generic name. So I, I started thinking, what do I want people to feel when they wear my clothes? You know, what is it that I want them to embody? And 
I just thought brave is what I want people to feel, what I want my brand to embody, this feeling of empowerment and bravery and confidence and that you can do anything that you put your mind to and that just to know that you have something within you. Um, and so I started, decided to start Brave the Label, which is my clothing brand that I have now. And it's so special to me. Um, it has helped me honestly with my recovery as well, because as I shared, you know, not going back to work um, and having this overachieving mindset to begin with really created this lack of purpose in my life. And um, I felt like, you know, my purpose and my identity was work, was getting good grades, was doing work and getting the gold star. And then after that was taken away, I had nothing. And I was like, I have no purpose, no direction. What am I doing with my life? And so I thought um, starting a business would be great. And that's what I did. I just, I totally just Googled everything. YouTube was my best friend, how to start your own business. Um, just looked everything up and decided I wanted to make tie-dye sets. So that's what we do. I sell, um, I hand tie-dye everything myself, um, sweatshirts and sweatpants. And They're really cool. Yeah, thank you. And then ten percent of all our proceeds go to mental health initiatives. So, obviously, that's Love super it. important to me. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I'm actually really excited because going forward, I'm working on our newest collection, and it's going to kind of tie my story together and the brand story, and it's gonna kind of all come together with this next launch. So, it's something I'm really excited about. Cool. Okay, awesome. so Ellie, um, super yeah. Exciting. Before I hit record, before we started this session, in passing, you had said, like, I don't know how we found each other initially, whether it was I found yeah. you guys or you found me. I know how we connected first on Instagram, and it was because, and um, I was sort of saving this story to tell you. So I found you on the Making Headway Instagram, um, I think because of a hashtag that you used on a post, but I was immediately I found brave the label before I found you um oh really okay I was I was immediately like I felt an immediate connection because business um I own a marketing agency and I haven't really talked about it a whole lot on this podcast but our motto is be brave um the name oh of the gosh. business is stout heart it's like an old english way of describing someone who's brave so when i saw brave the label i what is this <laughs> because i just have a connection to the word brave <laughs> um and then eventually like somehow i figured i followed you on our account and that's how we connected but i just like as somebody who is a business owner who i started my business before my brain injury um but my brain injury has brought meaning to my business um i just really love what you're doing. And it like, I love brands that make you feel something. And I just, it made me feel a certain kind of way when I saw it. So yeah. Oh, thank you so much. That makes me just feel so happy to hear you say that. I, yeah. I, when I, I knew like when I started the brand, I knew I just, I didn't want it to just be a brand. I wanted it to be more of like a community and I'm trying to grow that community feel. I want people to feel like they're a part of something when they're wearing the clothes and, um, and just to be inspired. And yeah, yeah. so thank you. That makes me so happy, but it has been my, the business starting the business has really helped me with my injury and giving me something to look forward to every morning, giving me purpose again and feeling like I'm doing something meaningful with my life again, because I feel like I mi was missing that not working and mm -hmm. not really knowing what to do. So yeah. Well, power been. to you because business totally owners identify with that. Hard. It is. Yeah. And I can't identify with that piece, but that lack of purpose piece and like, like a lot of things after my injury, I was getting a lot of help and I appreciate having help, but having things to do like, you know, when I'm at home at the weekends, having certain chores that I did, like it just provided some sort of structure as much as I hate chores. <laughs> I still kind of needed to have something to do because otherwise I'm just sitting there yeah. feeling useless. And that just kind of breeds its own kind of negative path if right. you let it. So, you know, for this weekend, I got to do like my gardening and I did some house cleaning, which sounds awful. And it is, 
but it made me feel so good because I'm like, look, I'm contributing to our household. It's not my husband doing everything. I think Um, that the comment about structure is a good one because I do think it's very mm -hmm. easy to feel adrift afterward. And I definitely Mm -hmm. did. Um, So Mm -hmm. I, I think structure is a good one, especially like it doesn't have to be a huge thing, a routine that is rigorous by any means, but, um, but yeah. And business ownership has structure and no structure. So a balancing act in a way, I'm sure you've discovered this Ellie, but, um, does give you something you can always do. The to-do list never ends, but that also means a strange gray area in your life. Um, because it could easily take over everything. And so, um, for me, it also, speaking of boundaries, I had to find boundaries in my life to defend myself from my own business. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've gotten to that point, Ellie, in your business ownership, but it like, it really can eat into everything and you've got to take good care of yourself too. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And I, it's like having a my business. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, it is. And <laughs> having a business is like, um, it's like, like you said, just never ending to do list, but it's, it is so rewarding. Like I, I really feel like every day I'm, I get to build the life that I want and I am in charge of building my own future, which I think is so exciting. And even during the pandemic, I've noticed a ton of people starting their businesses and just taking this time at home to do like side projects. And I just think it's so cool. And I love seeing that. Um, yeah, I don't, and I love that you were able to take something so that could be so horrific and define your life in such a negative way and actually flip it into defining you in a positive way. And it gives us all a way to support mm-hmm. you, um, you know, being able to wear something that makes you feel good. Like, I feel like our generation kind of thrives on that. Like, we really value um, products with meaning behind it. So brave the label sweat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's Yes. Thank you. That's amazing. Love it. (laughs) So I know we're, you know, we're starting to wind down now, um, getting towards the end of our hour. And um, I'm just wondering, um, Ellie, was there anything else that you were really hoping to touch on or any um, lasting words of wisdom? um, I think what I I wrote a couple notes, just what I really wanted people to know. Um, uh, I just want people to know that you're not crazy. And if something feels wrong with you, ask for help and don't stop until you've found, or you feel like you're in a better place with it because you have to be your own advocate. A lot of times, I know you guys talk about this on the podcast a lot, but especially with healthcare, I've just noticed. And with mental health, you have to be your own advocate or find someone that will be your advocate for you. And I think also, just don't be afraid to ask for help if you feel like something isn't right with you. And sometimes that help might not be who you think it is. I think a lot of people are still afraid to go to therapy or there's a stigma about it. Um, but I always tell people like, you know, there, when people are like, oh, I don't need to go. You know, I have family and friends to talk to. But I'm like, your family and friends don't know how to respond properly to what you're sharing with them. They don't have tools and tips to help you process or to help you deal with what's going on. And they're not going to be able to understand what's going on in here um, or respond to you in a helpful way. They're just going to be able to say, Oh, that sucks. Or I'm sorry to hear that. So I think, you know, find help. You don't need to do this on your own. Like there are, there are resources for free on Instagram. Um, You know, there's podcasts like these just, even if you're not ready to take that first step and go see a therapist, even if you haven't had a brain injury, well, no one listening to this podcast wouldn't have brain injury, I guess, but um, just go and like, you know, talk to somebody. You don't have to do this alone. I think just in the world, there's so much pressure and we feel like we have to be perfect and that we feel like we have to always be doing something and, you know, be productive all the time. It's just so much pressure on us. And I feel in today's day and age, we just need, a sounding board and somebody to talk to. So I think therapy, um, you don't have to suffer in silence. You don't have to suffer alone. 
there are people there that want to help you and that want to be there for you. And I don't know what else. And I mean, your story is living proof of that too. Cause think of how many strangers helped you while you were suffering. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just the, it really pulls out how we are really all interdependent and you can try to strive on your own. I've tried for many, many years and I keep trying to strive on my own, but that's not what it's about. You got to yeah. be together. You got to know where. And to it's definitely out. a journey. Like so. every, the way you feel one day might be totally different than the next. And the next month, you know, it's okay to to have ups and downs. I guess like you may mm-hmm. feel like you got to a really good point, and I felt like that multiple times over the years. Like, oh, I I feel like good about this. I feel like I understand what happened to me, and I'm okay with it, and I processed it. And then later next year, I'm like. Oh, I'm like crying and bawling. Yeah. Not this yeah. again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. I'm raising yeah. my hand to that. Yeah. Like, no, just like maybe right? don't even think of it as something that you need to get over. Like you're not going to get over it. It's mm-hmm. just, this is a part of your life, but it's also not your whole life. That's also something that I like to say is like on my personal Instagram page, you know, I, I like to share mental health resources and, uh, just share more about my own story, but also I like sharing other things. I like, um, cooking and I like fashion and clothing. And I just like showing other parts of my life too, because nobody, you know, it's not all about the sad, hard stuff all the time. There's still fun in life. There's, I'm still enjoying life, even though I might be a little depressed or struggling with PTSD. I, I still enjoy other things. It's not my whole identity in life is this moment of what happened to me. Yeah. And I think that's... And where could people find that Instagram? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Ellie Gargano. That's E-L-L-E-G-A-R-G-A-N-O. Or um, you can find my label or clothing brand, Brave the Label, on Instagram at brave underscore B underscore label. <laughs> nice. And if people want to purchase, um, can they get to that yes, through, your through Instagram the Instagram page? page? We have a website. It's www.wearebravethelabel.com. Um, so you can check us out there. Awesome. I love Excellent. it. Yeah. Ellie, I just, I feel so grateful that we got to meet you. And I really think we could probably talk for hours. Like I still have a bunch of other questions that we could do, but at some point we wind the show down. Um, But yeah, I'd love for you to keep in touch and um, keep us abreast of how things are going. And hopefully our listeners can help support you in the great causes that you're um, embarking on. Thank you. Thank you both so much. And just for all the work that you guys are doing, Seriously, just keep it up. You're giving so much hope and inspiration to your listeners. So thank you guys. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Now on this teary (laughs) note, because that makes me feel so good. (laughs) Because we just never know. Um, On this teary note, this is Erin signing out um, for Making Headway Podcast with my co-host Mariah. We'll see you next time. Hey everyone, in case you're wondering what Erin and I do for a living, it's not podcasting. I work in marketing, Erin's a nurse, and this is just a side project that we love. We really do enjoy doing this and we've enjoyed being part of the community and building up a group of listeners. You guys probably don't even realize how much you help us out uh, just by supporting us. If you were looking to do a little bit extra, Uh, We would love to have your ratings on Apple or whichever podcasting service that you use. Or if you hear us talk about a product on the podcast, we do include those links to Amazon in our show notes on our website. Your purchase after you click on the link just gives us a tiny little kickback. Nothing much, but it helps us pay our bills. And if you are thinking, well, this isn't enough, we want to do a little bit more on our website at www.makingheadwaypodcast.com. We have a donation page. Any proceeds we receive, we give 10% to our favorite brain injury nonprofit of the moment. So if you are looking to do a little bit more, that would be a great way to support us. Again, we appreciate you guys oh so much. Thanks so much for your time and your ongoing support. We love our listeners and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.